This is the day that the Lord has made. As we celebrate our first Sunday in Lent, today we also have the joy of it being Scouting Sunday. So I'd like to invite Will Nonemaker to lead us. Audience, please rise. Color guard, advance. Color guard, cross the colors. Color guard, color guard, close the colors. All those in uniform salute. All those put your right hand over your heart. Please join me in the Pledge of Allegiance. Ready? Begin. Good morning. Good morning. I'm uh, Jake Nonemaker. I'm the Scoutmaster of Troop 775. And we also have Douglas Johnson, who is an Assistant Scoutmaster, and Kelly Matthews, who is a, uh, the committee chair of our Cub Scout Pack 3785. And we also have with us other uh, Girl Scout leaders uh, with us. You know, hello. <laughs> uh, but I just want to spend a few minutes just talking about how important the uh, scouting program is and how uh, important it is that the church participate in that. We have about 25 Boy Scouts. We have 50 Cub Scouts and probably, I'm going to guess, between 10 and 20 Girl Scouts uh, that the church sponsors. And the scouting program is really important uh, because, as you know, it has uh, it's a foundation for leadership. You know, we're you know the, the kids are learning. Uh, you know, they may be learning knots or you know learning some crafts or you know going camping and learning cooking skills and you know, lear uh, earning some merit badges. But what they're actually doing is that they're learning very important leadership skills. They're learning about uh, citizenship and taking care of their community. You know, we do so much community service and it's. You know, and we're hoping that that will stick with them and lead them into adulthood so that they are good adult leaders later on in life, whether they you know, are parents or uh, they're business leaders or maybe church leaders uh, later on. Uh, this is a very solid foundation the scouting program gives to them to help in later in life. So we really appreciate all that the church does. You know, the church gives us uh, meeting space to have our meetings on, you know, Boy Scouts meet on Mondays and the Cub Scouts meet on Thursdays. Uh, and we also appreciate how the congregation buys our Girl Scout cookies. I know I, t I buy a lot of Girl Scout cookies, don't I? <laughs> <laughs> and the Boy Scouts, you know, play, we, we sell popcorn and we hope you enjoy the popcorn, but that's really important to the program because uh, that's how we, you know, make our money. So the congregation is very important, but we also would like uh, you know, if, if you're interested in, in volunteering, you're looking for a ministry to support, the scouting program is wonderful. You know, we go camping, we have, you know, we do backpacking, we have outings to uh, like the zoo, and we're always looking for adult leaders uh, to participate and help us in that regard. Because a lot of us, like we're, we're all, we're, we're full-time parents and we have jobs. And so it's hard for, uh, us to be leading and you know, doing it all and if you have if you have some free time on your hands you know we would love to have you participate and and, uh, and help us build these kids into uh, the leaders of tomorrow so thank you very much for all your support 
and we really appreciate it. And you guys appreciate the, the church's support, right? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> All right, well, thank you very much. May we be called to worship. Lord, be with us in these 40 days. Let us sing your praise. Vanquish, gather all our hate and fear as your passion draws near. May we join in our hymn of celebration 363. And can it be that I should gain verses 1, 3, and 5? Please stand. Sunday, will you join with me in the responsive reading and invocation as found in your bulletin? Holy Lord, help to keep our honor bright and teach us that integrity of character is our most priceless possession. Grant that we may do our best today and strive to do even better tomorrow. Teach us that duty is a friend and not an enemy and help us face even the most disagreeable tasks cheerfully. Open our mind to the truth, fill our hearts with love. Help us to do our duty to God and country, and to know that a good nation must be made from good men and women. You have given us the gift of a body. May we strive to keep it healthy that we might serve better. You are your service always Help us to have a better mind. Teach us to think and help us to learn discipline. 
in all that we do and in every challenge we face. Help us to know the difference between right and wrong and lead us in obedience on a straight path to the world goal. May we pray together. O oh God, your will is that all your children should grow in fullness of life. We lift to you the ministry of scouting. We offer you thanks for camping to teach us that the world is our great home, for study and work, to build character, for service, to see our responsibility to those in need, for encouragement and genuine patriotism and fighting for faith. Bless the work of scouting in this place and around the world, that through its efforts, the young may, like our Lord, increase in wisdom and stature, and in favor of you and all people. Continue with a heart and an attitude of worship and prayer as we join in our prayer hymn 420. Breathe on me, breath of God.
season of Lent, we come to you in our prayers to give you thanks and praise for the abundant blessings that you share, the gift of family and an anniversary, a fellowship, countless blessings that we don't always acknowledge, but you continue to shower upon us, and for this we give you praise. But in our praise, we too lift up our mourning for the loss of loved ones, for those who are hurting and are sick, struggling to make it need in a list of other things. God, you know the burdens that we bear, the, those things that weigh upon our heart that we don't always want to speak out loud. But the joy in your presence is that you know our hearts. And we might offer these to you today. So glorious God, in this Sunday and in this place, may we experience your spirit anew. May we come to the foot of the cross in silence to wait upon you, to feel your spirit. We come now in silence. <clears throat> Merciful and loving God, here these are prayers that we understand the words of your scripture that call us to pray without ceasing. May our lives, our voices, our hearts continue to offer our prayers and our praise in our living and in our doing and in our conversations to bring glory to you through the good news that you have proclaimed. And as we offer these our prayers, may we too lift our voices in unison to offer the prayer that your son Jesus Christ, our Savior, taught that we too may pray our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory come forward as we receive our gifts, tithes, and offerings.
gracious Lord, we give you thanks and praise as we offer to you our gifts, tithes, and offerings. May you bless these, our gifts, and use them for the ministry of your church. Through Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen. and receive a reading from the Word of God. Create in us a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within us, according to your grace and mercy. May we affirm our faith with joy and a willing spirit as we hear the scripture from St. John, chapter 19, verses 16 through 25. Then he handed him over to them to be crucified. So they took Jesus, and carrying the cross by himself, he went out to what is called the place of the skull, which in Hebrew is called Golgotha. There they crucified him and with two others, one on either side with Jesus between them. Pilate also had an inscription written and put on the cross. It read, Jesus of Nazareth, the King of the Jews. Many of the Jews read this inscription because the place where Jesus was crucified was near the city and it was written in Hebrew, in Latin, and in Greek. Then the chief priests of the Jews said to Pilate, do not write the King of the Jews. But this man said, I am king of the Jews, Pilate answered. What I have written, I have written. When the soldiers had crucified Jesus, they took his clothes and divided them into four parts, one for each soldier. They also took his tunic. Now the tunic was seamless, woven in one piece from the top. So they said to one another, let us not tear it, but cast lots for it to see who will get it. This was to fulfill what the scripture says. They divided my clothes among themselves 
and for my clothing they cast lots. And that is what the soldiers did. Meanwhile, standing near the cross of Jesus were his mother and his mother's sister, Mary, the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. May we pray. Glorious God, we give you thanks for the reading of your word that continues to touch hearts and lives. May we have ears to hear, willingness to receive that we too might be transformed. We give you thanks and praise this day as we continue in our journey of Lent. Amen. Amen. You know, today we begin our seven-week series on the series being at the foot of the cross, which will take us up to Easter. Over these next seven weeks, Gary and I are going to be looking at some of the key figures who were there at the cross or who were related to the cross and the people present, individuals and groups. And as we look at them, it's going to help us look at our faith and where we might stand in perspective to the cross in order that we grow in our faith. So today we start with the soldiers. But before we do, how many of you have ever seen the movie Forrest Gump? All right. I just learned it was 25 years ago. It's hard to imagine. So the 8 o'clock service, they said, now we feel old. So it happened last year. If... But I love the movie Forrest Gump because there's an underlying kind of theme, storyline happening throughout the movie. Here's Forrest Gump, an average individual, a simple man who happens to be in all the right places at all the right times. And when you watch the movie, you know, he sees some of the most famous events play out of the 1950s and 60s, and he's an integral part. Like, for example, where he's talking on the phone, and he calls in and says, hey, over at the Watergate Hotel, there's something happening. The lights are on. You know, or he's selected to become one of the first astronauts, and he's along with like Neil Armstrong and the others. Forrest Gump was on Johnny Carson, and he inspires the, the lyrics to Imagine by D John Lennon. And he's said to have taught Elvis Presley how to dance. So, Bob, I bet you didn't know that one. <laughs> Forrest Gump taught Elvis. And one of my favorite scenes, he has mud on his face, and he picks up a white shirt, and he wipes off the mud. And he, lo and behold, creates that famous yellow smiley face icon uh, known at Walmart. <laughs> that was Forrest Gump, too. You know, how many of us can relate, though? being a part of a major historical event, but not realizing the significance of it at that time. Or maybe you do. Historical events aside, have you ever witnessed something so often that it becomes seemingly mundane or it starts to lose its significance and, and not really worth our attention? And you begin to disregard it while others stop to take notice. You know, I shared a story with some people on Friday night, and it, it came to my mind again. In 1995, I worked in Glacier National Park. I worked at the Sunrise Hotel, the Sunrise Lodge. And, you know, being from Rhode Island, I always joke around, we had three deer in our state, and all of three got hit by a car. It's, you know, Rhode Island is smaller than L.A. So being in Montana was a new experience. And where I lived, there was a herd of elk about 60 strong, half a mile from us. And for the first two, three weeks, you know, my eyes lit up and I got a big smile saying, wow, look at this. By the end of three and a half months, I was like, come on, tourists, they're just out, move along. Yeah. And, you, and you get frustrated and you want people to get out of your way because you want to get that extra half mile. And I share that story because by the end of my time that summer, I realized I might never see another elk again. And I just missed the opportunity to experience their beauty and their awesomeness over those months. The point is that sometimes when we are actively involved in events, we miss the significance of the things going on around us. Or at other times, we see something so often, we fail to be moved by it anymore. It almost becomes part of the scenery, part of the landscape, and we, we forget that it's there. Welcome to the life of a Roman soldier in Jesus' day, and to the crucifixion. The soldiers were first-hand witnesses to the events of that day, yet their response might be far from what we could imagine it would be. Their response might be not what we would hope for. But crucifixion was nothing new to a Roman soldier. It was used as a form of punishment since the 6th century BCE. It started in Persia and was used by the Phoenicians, and it continued almost for 1,000 years until 377, when Emperor Constantine said, okay, I banish it, we're done, no more crucifixions. In fact, about 70 years before Jesus was crucified, a Roman historian wrote that on one day, over 2,000 people were crucified for entertainment's sake. 
So for the soldiers there at the cross, the crucifixion just seemed to be another day at the office. In fact, the soldiers were really just doing what they were ordered to do, and in some ways probably a little bit more that they wanted to do, because they knew if they didn't fulfill those orders, they too could be killed. But they knew if they did more, their supervisors or superiors probably wouldn't take notice. And if we remember the things that the soldiers had done to Jesus before the crucifixion, it's amazing. They mocked him as they put a robe, a scarlet robe upon his shoulders, and they forced the crown of thorns onto his head. Every Lent, we share this crown of thorns here on the front of the pulpit. They say that the thorns that Jesus wore were probably upwards of four inches long. These are small comparison. The soldiers beat him with their fists and they whipped him. They spit on him as they cursed him and as they mocked him. They led him through the streets of Jerusalem up to Golgotha. They nailed him to the cross. They stripped him of his clothes and they raised him there later only to to pierce his side with a spear. When we look at the soldiers, we must remember that they really were there for two reasons. The first is they were to fulfill the order for execution. The second was to maintain order. They wanted to prevent anyone from interfering in the execution, whether to set the prisoner free or to try and be you know, even more up in the prisoner's face and to do physical damage or to torment them physically. You see, the soldiers didn't really have an emotional stake in that day. Whomever the ones being crucified on that day were to be meant nothing to them. It was just another crucifixion. These soldiers could be expected to be coarse and vulgar, having no sympathy for Jesus. They had seen a crucifixion a hundred times over, if not more. Jesus was charged with being king of the Jews, therefore someone guilty of treason against Rome. The soldiers seemed, at least in this account, to take no pity for the agony that he would endure. They went about their task with cold precision. There were four present, and we know it because Scripture says they split the clothes into four. But there would be no mobs rushing to save Jesus. They didn't need any more people. Instead, they did what was common practice and allowed for Roman soldiers out of crucifixion. They gambled. They cast lots for the rights to the prisoner's clothes. This tunic that had just been upon Jesus' body moments before was now being cast for lots. They were, seemed to be oblivious to the events that were transpiring right before their eyes, transpiring right before them. You know, as a Christian observer 2,000 years later, it's easy to ask questions. You know, have the soldiers become so unfazed by crucifixion, this is just yet another in a long line? Is Jesus really just a common criminal? I think it's fair to say the answer is probably yes in their eyes. Are they simply doing as they're supposed to without regard, merely fulfilling an order? Probably, again, the answer is yes. Yet I believe there's a more important question that we are to ask. Though the soldiers are fulfilling their duty, did they have a more significant role that day? Was their being at the foot of the cross more meaningful to our lives of faith than we ever thought of before? You see, in John's gospel, John tells us by them gambling for the undergarments, they were simply fulfilling the words of Psalm 22, 18, where it says that they would cast lots for his clothing. Even on the cross, Jesus quotes 22, 1, Psalm 22, 1, Father, uh, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? You know, it's the words of Psalm 22 played out. And there is so much speculation as to the significance as to why would these soldiers cast lots for a tunic that was seamless and unripped. And that's a sermon for a different day. But as I said in the beginning, I believe that we must look at the soldiers from an honest perspective. Hold the mirror of the soldiers' existence there before our eyes in order to see where our faith and our lives stand in relation to the cross. And where we stand in relationship to the events of the cross. As we do, I believe that we might find ourselves to be not much different than the soldiers were. As we stand before the cross, we can see our lives played out through the life of the soldiers. You see, John's entire gospel has been building up to this moment. 
in chapters 1 through 12, Jesus talks about a time that is to come. And he talks, it's called, you know, the signs that he has to perform leading up to this time. The first miracle Jesus performs in the Gospel of John is turning water to wine. And they say at the wedding feast of Cana, aren't you supposed to serve the best wine first? But you save it to last. The point being, something better was still yet to come. And the last miracle that Jesus will do, the last tri amazing thing that he will do before he is in the passion and before he is arrested, is he will stand at death's door with Lazarus. And in the presence of death, the only one who could defeat it says, come forth. He defeats death in death's presence. You see, the, the cross is the greatest sign under which every other sign becomes a shadow. We know the wine would run out. People at the celebration will go back to life as usual. Lazarus was still a person and he would die yet again. But here in the shadow of the cross... We see something that would never be achieved again, a work that was never to be repeated in the course of human history. Yet even in that sign, even in that moment, there are people who would miss it. The religious leaders of that day and age looked at Jesus as just a dying man, as a blasphemer. Pilate sensed something was happening. Even his wife said, stay away from this. But he didn't have the courage or the conviction to stand firm, and he sentenced him to death. Here the soldiers gambled for the clothes at the feet of Jesus. I had the opportunity years ago to, to France and to go to France and to go to Notre Dame Cathedral. And when I was there, I'll never forget our tour guide said, if you were to take all the relics of the cross, the cross would be something like 40 feet tall and 20 feet wide. You know, realistically, the cross was tall enough that Jesus' feet were probably eye level. Jesus wasn't 40 feet in the air. He was right there in their midst. Yet even in the most significant event in all of human history, those closest to it, the soldiers who hung in there, failed to see a significant event occurring. They failed to recognize what was happening before them. He was just a person. Being killed, whether he deserved it or not, was irrelevant. In fact, to make certain that he was dead, they took a spear and they pierced his side. Some today still fail to recognize that miracle of the cross that day. When they look at the cross, all they see is a nice piece of jewelry that hangs around our neck. Or they see maybe two pieces of wood that just happened to intersect. Scripture tells us for some, as they look at the cross, it becomes a stumbling block. It's foolishness, as Scripture tells us. Yet we're called to view our faith in light of the cross and what God did through it and not disregard it, not blow it off as irrelevant. So as we encounter Christ on the cross this Lent, how do we see him? Is he merely a criminal dying a criminal's death? Is he merely the king of the Jews? Is he the son of God destroying our death and giving hope for life eternal? Is he in the moment changing the course of history as God's grace and mercy intersects with our human frailty and our sin. There in that moment, what's happening as we encounter the cross? You see, at the cross, I believe we're invited to a moment when time stood still. When God's glory was on full display for all to see. The question becomes whether we'll choose to see it or not. Well, they'll choose to acknowledge it or disregard it. Just as the soldiers had become numb to crucifixion, we sometimes live as though we've heard that narrative of the scripture so many times. We've heard the narrative of the cross that it has lost something for us. You see, the, there's a component to the cross that we forget. It's the everyday reality. Take up your cross and follow me. Bear your burdens. And this is one of the hardest things to remember because we know the story, we've heard the story, we don't always let it impact us the same way. Or sometimes we want to fast forward through the pain of Lent in order to get to the hope and the joy of Easter and the resurrection. We are a resurrection church. And that is great news to know that there is a hope and a future. Plans for good and not to harm you. You know, the result, though, as we come to the cross 
is that we have an opportunity to experience the power, even if we feel that the message has faded, sometimes becoming mundane and losing its strength to change lives. And I think that'll happen if we don't take time to stop and to truly look at the cross. You know, as we look upon the cross, we're given an opportunity to see how the actions that day transform lives, touch hearts, change attitudes, opinions, behaviors, lives, change everything. By knowing the message of the cross, we realize that it's not mundane, it's not simple, average, ordinary, rather it's life-giving and calls for a response. It requires something of us as we stand at the foot of the cross. You see, because by coming to the foot of the cross, we're challenged and we're invited to stop, to kneel before it, to spend time there in that moment. And in doing so, by doing such, we experience all the raw emotions that those beams of wood offer. It is okay to be angry at God. It's okay to be hurt, to be fearful, to be joyous, to have the whole range of emotions. That's okay. But do we lay them there and allow God to work on them there? Because you see, by looking at the cross, when we experience the reality and the message and the power of the cross, we see it was never nails that held Jesus there. It was God's love incarnate in order that we can be come away transformed by the love of God and to share that love and that experience in that moment with others as a transformed individual. You know, I pray for each of us during this season of Lent that we might not miss the message, that we not be like the soldiers to go about the everyday ordinary and miss the extraordinary, to become so numb to the good news of life everlasting to become so busy or so tired of the same old story, but rather to sit at the foot of the cross and experience God's grace and mercy anew. I believe when we do that, when we come to the foot of the cross, we can never be the same. When we experience and witness firsthand God's glory, our lives will forever be different when we allow God's power through Christ, to transform us. May we pray. Glorious God, we give you thanks and praise that you do, in fact, call us to come, to be still, to sit at the foot of the cross. God, sometimes we have hard heads and deaf ears. Give us a chisel. God, sometimes we can make excuses but your love has taken those excuses away. God, sometimes we forget or we just assume and we just know it's always there. But God, may it be for us this Lent the foundation for how we choose to live, to know that it's not the end, but the beginning of life eternal. For the joy is we, we rejoice in a resurrected Savior but the reality is we still must experience the pain of the cross. So meet us here today as we continue in this journey that we call Lent to rejoice and to sorrow together as a community in faith through Jesus Christ our Lord, in whose name we pray. Amen. I want to invite you to stand as we join in our hymn of dedication 528, Nearer My God to Thee.
take the hands of those standing near you as we receive our choral benediction. As you hold one another's hand, may you give a squeeze. And by giving a squeeze, may you remember that God will always be near because he's given us the gift of relationship to continue to hold fast to one another's hand and never let go. So may you hold one another's hands and go forth today in love to serve from this day forward. Go now in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, now and forever. Amen. Amen. Amen.